Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. You're not going to believe where my temporary studios are. Can you believe that I am in Rome, Italy? Last time we talked, I was on the ship on a cruise between Rome and Rome. We went from Rome. The first port was Athens, Greece. Then from there to Kusidasi, Turkey, which is the biblical site for Ephesus. Then we boarded the ship, and about a day and a half later, we returned here to Rome. For the last week, we've been doing some sightseeing with our cruise members. But in addition to that, Jim Jr. and myself and our son Rick have been producing a documentary on the revival of the Roman Empire and how the false church of Revelation chapter 17 will play into the revival of that political, economic, governmental power to be prevalent, very, very important and prominent in the tribulation period as talked about in the book of Revelation. Well, we'll get more to that and look at what we've been doing here in Rome. Jim Jr. is standing by. He's actually going to interview me in just a moment. But first, we want to talk to our broadcast partners. This is a special edition of prophecy today, we want to look at the effects of the presidential election that will take place this coming Tuesday. I know no better person to talk to about that than a man who he himself is running for the United States Congress in one of the districts in the state of Maryland. I'm talking about Ken Timmerman. Now, Ken Timmerman has several hats. He's an author. He's a journalist. He is a candidate for the United States Congress, and these are very tight hours right now. He needs every moment he can, but he's been so gracious to give us a few moments to to talk about some of the geopolitical activities happening in our world. So he puts on his journalistic hat at this point in time. I guess you have both of your hats on right now, campaigner and journalist. Is that right, Ken? Uh, well, I do. I'm actually at an early voting site in my district in suburban Maryland, Jimmy. And uh, this is a real uh, mission field, I've got to tell you. I can't tell you how many Democrats and independents are coming over to my side and who recognize that President Obama is taking us to a disaster, and we have to turn this ship around. Well, indeed, that is the case, and we wish you the best and be praying for you as you finish up the campaign by next Tuesday. But uh, let me get uh, to that journalistic hat that you're wearing as well. Uh, And this kind of goes along with what you've been doing as far as your campaigning is concerned. I believe one of the major stories coming out of Washington, D.C. is what looks to be a cover-up on the Benghazi terroristic attack on our consulate there and what's happening. Give me some details. What is going on behind all of this that's not being talked about? looks like the White House doesn't want to say a word, but what do you know about all of this? Well, Jimmy, I think the most stunning stunning thing that we've learned to date is that there was live video feed from uh, a military U.S. military drone being fed into the Situation Room in the White House as our U.S. citizens, our diplomats, uh, the Navy SEALs, a CIA officer, were being murdered, were murdered by terrorists on the ground in Benghazi. So we don't know if the president himself actually watched it, but he was in the Situation Room in the White House, as well as being beamed into the State Department and the Pentagon, live video footage of the terrorist attack on our consulate, and still the president did nothing. He ordered uh, the, um, uh, well, somebody in the administration, we don't yet know, and that's where the cover-up comes in, we don't yet know who gave the order to stand down, but the order came from Washington to stand down 
uh, one of the Navy SEALs who was up on the rooftop and was later murdered. He had a, um, a laser designator trained on the mortars that were uh, firing on the consulate building. Now, the type of designator he had, we've learned, uh, was uh, the type that's used by our AC-130 Spectre gunships. Uh, so uh, there's speculation that there was one of these giant gunships not far away and possibly within range, and then the order came to stand down. And the result of it, that Navy SEAL up on that rooftop was killed. Uh, now, I don't know who gave the order. That's where the cover-up comes in, but that's why people are calling it Benghazi Gate. In Watergate, let's not forget, nobody died. Here there are four U.S. citizens who were killed on the ground because our government refused to come to their rescue. Ken, in your opinion, are we going to get the details before the presidential election on Tuesday? Well, I think we know a number of details already, Jimmy. The, the information I just, uh, just uh, talked to you about uh, right here on air uh, is coming out. It's on Fox News. It's come out of Senate Intelligence uh, Committee hearings. Uh, so we know those facts already. Uh, I guess the real question is, when will the national media actually talk about the facts that we know? When will they start asking questions of Barack Obama and Joe Biden, the vice president, about what they knew and when they knew it? Uh, when will they actually ask Leon Panetta, the uh, defense secretary, who gave the order to stand down? You know, the latest that we've heard, Jimmy, this, this shows you how extraordinary the story is. The latest we've heard is that the Obama administration ordered uh, General Carter Ham, who was the commanding officer of the Africa Command, in other words, the U.S. command for all forces in the region. So he was in charge of the military forces who were ready to come to the rescue for our people on the ground in Benghazi. He, he was relieved of his duty within 30 seconds to one minute. That's how it's been put out. 30 seconds to one minute of giving the order to go rescue our troops and our people on the ground. And his number two came in and said, sir, you're relieved of your duty. Stand down. That's the order we've had from Washington. You have committed insubordination by going against a direct order from the civilian command. That's absolutely extraordinary. I think it's uh, unprecedented. The last time a military commander was relieved in active duty uh, in this type of circumstance was General MacArthur during the Korean War. Um, and, uh, you, you know, the other commanders have been relieved, but not, not when there was an active uh, operation going on. And it's just, it's mind-boggling that the president would do such a thing. It is very much mind-boggling. And I tell you, the rest of the media not may, may not stay on top of this story, but we here at Prophecy Today will, and we'll do it with broadcast partners like Ken Timmerman, who is on top of this major story right now. Let me touch base with a couple of other stories, if you will, Ken. There is a report also, and this goes along with what you're really talking about right now, that a number of radical Islamists made hundreds of visits to the White House. Uh, this is uh, very concerning also. Well, it is, and, and unfortunately it's just part of a pattern of this president's behavior. He's made it very clear that he prefers radical Islamist organizations and Muslim Brotherhood government to uh, American allies, such as Hosni Mubarak in Egypt, who was not a dictator. He was an autocrat. He was an authoritarian leader, but not a dictator. People joked about Mubarak on the street. I mean, I've been to Egypt so many times. I'm sure you have too, Jimmy. They called him the laughing cow. You don't do that with a dictator. Uh, but the uh, Obama administration pushed Mubarak out the door, knowing full well, 
that the Muslim Brotherhood would take over. The fact that these people are coming into the White House is unfortunately not a surprise. Uh, we learned at, at the very moment that Mubarak was being kicked out with U.S. government help that the Muslim Brotherhood had already come to the White House in April 2009. So just three months after Obama took office in 2009, the Muslim Brotherhood was already there in the White House meeting with top officials from the Obama administration. So this is part of a pattern. I think, it's it, again, he has overturned traditional U.S. alliances with Israel and with our allies in the region in favor of radical Islam. Uh, this cannot stand. Well, and in fact, I was going to ask you about, we won't take the time because I have a very important question to pose to you. I was going to talk about the chairman of the chiefs of staff there at the Pentagon, uh, General Dempsey in Israel overseeing the exercises, these missile defense exercises, co-exercises with Israel and the United States, and he is now pushing the Israeli leadership uh, to put off any preemptive strike on Iran. So this is a part of this whole mix we're talking about. Let me just pose this question in a couple of minutes that we have left with you, Ken. Uh, what do you think is going to be the effect? I know domestically probably what's going to happen, but worldwide, you've traveled the world. You're a journalist, have covered almost every major story in the world that has happened in the last 10 years. What do you think the effect of the elections will be on Tuesday, whoever may be elected, either Romney or Obama? Well, uh, let me uh, remind you what I, I learned back in the late 1970s and the 1980s living in Europe at the time. Uh, people were uh, very worried about Jimmy Carter. Uh, the Europeans complained that Carter was so weak, and they said, we have to have a strong American president because weakness invites attack. And, of course, when Reagan took over, then they complained that we have too strong an American president because being strong put Europe in the back seat. Uh, but weakness is what they truly, truly fear. They may uh, uh, feel uh, upset about American strength. They may want. They may feel jealous of American strength. Now I'm just talking about our European allies. But they truly fear American weakness. And with Barack Obama, we America is projecting an image of weakness around the world. I believe we were attacked in Benghazi because of that, uh, because uh, the jihadis, the radical Muslims, understood that we were not going to strike back. There hasn't been any strike back. We haven't done anything since our four people were killed. And they understand that that is the pattern. If Barack Obama is reelected in this country, I fear not only for our nation, I fear for our allies. It's become more dangerous to be a friend of America than it is to be an enemy of America. And the fact that Martin Dempsey, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is in Israel this week, I think is really a photo op for the Obama administration. They're trying to show Jewish voters in America that they're not really as anti-Israel as everybody understands them to be. Um, and the fact that General Dempsey is also telling the Israelis, what you just mentioned, that they should back off from any kind of military pressure on Iran is indicative of where the Obama administration is today and where it would go if, God forbid, Obama is re-elected on November 6th. They will lead to a to break up the strong U.S. support for Israel, it will be an invitation to attack on Israel from, from Muslim jihadis and from the Islamic Republic of Iran, and American allies will not be safe. Ken, our prayers are with you in your campaign, and thank you so very much for taking a few moments out of the campaign to talk about these very important issues with us here on Prophecy Today. Well, Jimmy, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate uh, your prayers and the prayers of our listeners. It is keeping me aloft. 
We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll go to the Middle East, a Middle East news update with David Dolan. That's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As I said at the outset of this show, we're in Rome, Italy, and we're doing a documentary here on the revival of the Roman Empire and how religion, the false religion of Revelation 17, plays into the revival of this major political, economic, governmental power. Well, we'll have more about that in just a moment. Going to continue with our broadcast partners. David Dolan covers the Middle East for us. He's been doing that for a long, long time. Before I ever started this program, David Dolan uh, was a correspondent. I believe it was for CBS Radio, and he uh, did all the reports out of Israel as it relates to that, covering the entire Middle East. He's lived up in Lebanon. He's a very experienced journalist, and that's why we go to him when we want to get a Middle East news update. Uh, David, let me ask you this. This is the headline in the Jerusalem Post. The Jerusalem mayor says, let my people pray. In other words, the mayor of Jerusalem is saying, hey, look, everybody should be allowed to pray on the Temple Mount, the Muslims, the Christians, and the Jews. Since it's the most sacred piece of real estate in all of Judaism, the mayor of Jerusalem is making this statement, and he's coming out right in the face of everybody. Listen, let my people pray there on the Temple Mount. Your thoughts about this statement made by the mayor, and should the Jews be allowed to pray on the Temple Mount? Well, Jimmy, it's very interesting that this particular mayor would say that because Nir Barkat is his name. He is a um, secular man. He's not religious uh, observant at all. He's a businessman, a very successful venture capitalist that um, has a lot of uh, business ability. And for him to say that, that's quite something. But, 
you know, I mean, uh, I guess my response would be, well, duh. I mean, it is, as you just stated, the holiest site on earth for the Jewish people. It's not the western wall of the Temple Mount, as some people think, that is the holiest site. That's just the only part of the of the Temple Mount that they can get close to, next to, and pray at, because as you uh, imply there, there's been a ban uh, that the government has enforced more or less on Jews praying up on the Temple Mount, not wanting to offend the Muslims. And uh, the mayor's basically saying, look, that's just not fair. There's a lot of Jews, and you know many of them, and I know many of them, that want to go up and pray on their holiest site. They're not afraid of walking accidentally over the Holy of Holies as some state. They can stay on the edges and safely do it. But they're not allowed by the by Israeli authorities really to do that, and he's saying let's reverse that policy. But of course, it would mean more clashes, more work for the police, and I think the security forces will remain against uh, changing that rule. This is going to be an ongoing story, and in particular because there are so many Jews that want to have that right to go up onto the Temple Mount. We'll stay on top of it with Dave and with others as well. David, a very interesting development. Uh, some of the PLO leadership, Palestinian Liberation Organization, this is a, a group of uh, leaders in the Palestinian area who are backing Jordan's annexation of the West Bank. I, I, I think I remember correctly, in 1988, then King Hussein really ceded the West Bank to the Palestinians, and now they want to form some type of a federation between the Palestinians and the Jordanians, and they want Jordan to come in and annex uh, what is known as the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria. What are you thinking about this story? Well, yeah, it's uh, mainly Farouk Kadumi, who is a longtime PLO leader who's um, advocating this, but he does have support uh, from others in the PLO, as you said, and uh, uh, well, it just maybe uh, maybe it says, hey, it wasn't so bad back then when we were part uh, of Jordan. We had Jordanian passports. Uh, now many still do. Uh, Jordanian currency, the dinar, was used as the official currency. Now it's the shekel, the Israeli shekel, but many still use the Jordanian currency. They fly out of Amman airport. Uh, they're very much connected to Jordan, and as you know, just having been over there again, and uh, I live over there, it's very close by. It's just uh, a few miles uh, to get from Jerusalem to the border with Jordan and, and then into Jordan. So uh, it makes a lot of sense economically. There would be more political stability. But, uh, Jimmy, I dare say the Hashemite leaders now may not be so enthusiastic about this because their fear, I, I would suspect, would be that Hamas would take over uh, their country after trying to take over uh, the West Bank, uh, Judea and Samaria, if that gets re-annexed to Jordan. So I'm not so sure that the Jordanian officials are going to be um, enthusiastic about this proposal, but um, it's, uh, it's always a possibility and, frankly, makes a lot of sense, and uh, maybe they should have never delinked in the first place. Yeah, that is true. But I have to tell you, I saw a quote from King Abdullah, the present king of Jordan, who said, no way is this going to happen. We're not taking back that area uh, they call the West Bank. Howbeit, though, are there not some politicos that are members of the Knesset, etc., in Israel who have said for a number of years, hey, Jordan is the Palestinian state anyway. Would this move towards that conclusion? Well, yeah, and that is, they say, yes, we're for a two-state solution, but it should be the two states that already exist, the Arab state of Jordan, the Jewish state of Israel. And, and the remaining territory that's disputed, we'll have to work on that. We'll keep the settlement blocks. Jordan can take the rest of it. It really is the best solution as far as Israel 
uh, is concerned, many Israelis, and, uh, and, and yet it was the situation from 48 to 67. Uh, so they would uh, be just going back to that. Uh, they trust, uh, many Israelis trust the Hashemite kingdom, they trust the leadership, they've kept the peace, etc. So uh, many would be advocating that, although that fear that Hamas would end up taking over the whole show uh, would, would remain a very great fear. Uh, we've seen the Muslim Brothers take over Egypt, obviously, and other countries in the last year trying to take over Syria. So it's um, probably not going to happen, but uh, that doesn't surprise me that King Abdullah stated that. That's what I would have thought he would, would say. Yeah, he's right on target there. Uh, let's go from the Jordanian-Israeli border to the Lebanese-Israeli border. Looks like Hezbollah has installed cameras. Uh, we're talking about uh, surveillance cameras along the Israeli border. And many are saying this is a preparation for war. What are your thoughts? Well, everything we see from the, the Iranian axis, from Iran itself now uh, dropping off in ports in Sudan, we're hearing their warships and uh, sending this drone over Israeli airspace uh, several weeks ago, and they've just said this week that they got high-resolution pictures of uh, Israeli army bases and other targets, they said, places they would target in any new war, and they say they're studying those photos. So, yeah, Iran and its allies, that of course includes Hezbollah very much, are clearly preparing for battle, and this is just another sign of how serious that battle will be, because uh, Hezbollah has been trained by the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. They've been pouring weapons and money and, and training into those uh, Lebanese fighters, they have now become uh, one of the world's largest uh, fighting forces with, uh, you know, 40,000, 50,000 rockets and many other things. Uh, so uh, a serious opponent and some, uh, uh, something that Israel has to watch very, very closely, and you can bet that they are doing so. Yes, they are. Uh, about two minutes left on the broadcast, David. Talk to me. There's going to be a presidential election, congressional elections as well, and some governors are up for re-election, are going to have new governors in some of the states across America. But I want to ask you, from the Israeli perspective, the people and the leadership of Israel, what effect will the outcome of the presidential elections have on Israel, in your opinion, and from your insight of having lived in that part of the world for so many years? Well, you know, Jimmy, one of the largest expat American communities on earth, I believe only Mexico has a larger one, uh, it resides in Israel. There's uh, about 250,000 American citizens living in Israel. Uh, 150,000 of those are voters, dual American-Israeli citizens. Many vote in Florida, many vote in Ohio, many vote in Pennsylvania, around Philadelphia, uh, absentee, of course. So their, their votes may actually determine uh, those races in those close uh, states that the polls are showing are very close. Those absentee ballots won't be voted necessarily right away. So if the election is hung up, as many believe it will be, we won't know on Wednesday next week who won because some races will be too close to call and there'll be recounts, etc. It may be those Israeli votes that determine who actually wins. But, of course, the alliance is very deep. All Israelis, whether they're American citizens or not, they care deeply about the alliance. They want it to remain strong. They haven't felt so good under Obama, the polls show, so I think a majority are hoping Mitt Romney uh, pulls out a victory. Uh, but, you know, either way, they're going to have to work with whoever is in there, and, uh, and that alliance will continue either way. But they're hoping it will be strengthened uh, under Mitt Romney. 
just a few moments, uh, what, if indeed, will happen as it relates to the peace process, whoever may be elected? Will one or the other carry it quicker uh, to some type of resolution? Well, President Obama tried uh, several times, and it didn't go anywhere. The Israelis have made clear that in the shadow of a nuclear-armed Iran, with Iran, as you mentioned earlier, making more war preparations, stating all the time Israel's about to be destroyed, uh, Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, is not about to give up more land under those circumstances. They're focused on that issue right now, and uh, either man that's elected president will have to recognize that that's just the reality of the situation. Plus, of course, the regional instability continues to grow. War in Lebanon, uh, war in uh, Syria spreading to Lebanon, threatening Turkey. That's the focus right now. David Dolan, he's the man that gives us insight on our Middle East news update as he covers that region of the world. David, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again real soon. You're welcome. God bless, Jimmy. Thank you so much. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to be talking with Itamar Marcus. He's going to be telling us about a mother who put on a suicide belt on her son. You have to stand by to hear this story. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. And guess where my temporary studios are set up? Well, I told you at the first of the program, we're here in Rome, Italy. What an opportunity to have traveled into Turkey, into Greece, and now here in Italy, Rome, Italy, our headquarters for our temporary studios on Prophecy Today. We're going to be talking with Itamar Marcus. He's in Israel. And Itamar is the director of the Palestinian Media Watch, their website and their email address, palwatch.org, P-A-L-W-A-T-C-H, palwatch.org. They give information to you that helps us to understand what truly the Palestinian media is saying, both the electronic media and the print media. And this is key in this time in history with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict continuing, everybody trying to bring resolution to it. Uh, That goal has not been met yet. Itamar, a lot of things to talk about with you today. I guess the main headline would have to be what you passed along to us in your news alert to those of us on your uh, email list, and that would be a mother placing a suicide belt on her son, on a child. And this, in fact, was on the Fatah Facebook page out of Lebanon. Talk to me about this. What's it all about? Well, this one, 
even surprised us a little bit because uh, it's been a while since there's been uh, a direct promotion of, uh, of literally suicide terrorism amongst anyone uh, in the Fatah or the Hamas. For many years, they were encouraging children, and they still encourage children to, to, to sort of look for the martyrdom, and martyrdom is honored, and children sing songs about martyrdom. But this was even going beyond that. They, uh, what you see in this, on the Facebook page of the Fatah is a mother bent over, and she's literally dressing up her child, who has a mask on his face, so you can't see his face, and she's dressing him up with a suicide belt. And what was most striking is the conversation that the editors of the Facebook page put next to this child. The child, the mother says, I'm putting this on you so you'll go to your death. So the child asks the mother, what have I done? You don't want me to die. And she answers, the homeland needs you. Go blow up the sons of Zion. Then the son asks the mother, why me and not you? And then she answers, I will stay to give birth to more children for Palestine. Uh, and then the boy says, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, keep it up, mother, for you and for Palestine, I will kill the impure and the damned. Now, in this little lesson, this little segment here of text, you have so many significant messages uh, that, that represent Palestinian ideology. First of all, blowing up the impure and the damned. Many, many times we've heard Palestinian religious leaders talk about the, the Jewish people being the damned of Allah. Uh, we recently, Palestinian television said that we were impure and that it rains in Jerusalem to wash away the impurity where the Jews have walked. Um, so all of these words here are, are key words in Palestinian ideology. And, of course, the idea of blowing up uh, the, the Jews uh, for the sake of Palestine uh, is, is part of their, it has been part of their ideology for many years. It's justified. It's glorified. Uh, but at this age, where you see a young little boy being dressed up like this, this is something we haven't seen in a while. Now, am I understanding correctly this was on the Facebook page for Fatah in Lebanon? Exactly. And it, it, there's a link to it from, from the Fatah website, uh, and there's a link to that website from the Fatah website uh, in the Palestinian Authority, so that we know this is the actual site, because it's coming linked to directly in two, in two links from the, the, the Fatah site in the, in the West Bank. Well, I understood the restrictions on Facebook were more stringent than to allow a mother to encourage her child uh, to be a martyr for the Palestinian cause. Has anybody complained to Facebook about this? That's an excellent question, and uh, um, I would think that if Facebook saw this, they might do something about it, and uh, I'm hoping one of our readers in, in one of the countries will do such a thing. Yes, that would be very important, and anybody eavesdropping on this conversation, you might want to check it out. Go to palwatch.org, and there you'll be able to see the entire video uh, that would be on this Facebook page. You'll be able to understand it better, and then maybe you want to contact Facebook. Uh, let me ask, what is the Palestinian Authority doing in preparations uh, for their proposal to the General Assembly of the United Nations to have some type of a status? I don't believe it's going to be a full nation status, but what are they trying to do to be recognized by the United Nations? Well, the, it's, it's, this is very critical for them. They want the United Nations, by majority vote, to recognize them as a non member state, meaning it's not quite a state, but it's, it is a state. 
And what they will then do is play up the part that is a state, and more significantly or most significantly, they are asking for statehood on the 1967 ceasefire lines, that is, ceasefire lines that have been in place since 1949. And those ceasefire lines, which put all of Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, in Arab hands, puts Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and the, and the Western Wall all in Arab hands, they will then claim that international law recognizes those borders because of this U.N. vote, and they will say their state is therefore now official. These are no longer disputed territories, but this is occupied territories. Israel has always insisted this land has never belonged to anyone other than us, uh, and therefore at best it's disputed. Really, it's Israeli land. Uh, they will then say it's no longer disputed. It's now Palestinian, and therefore we have the right for everything. Now, that would mean, I'm guessing, including terrorism, including killing Israelis, because they say very often the occupied has a right to uh, resistance in every form against the occupier. So they will then go to the world and say, we're killing Israelis in Jerusalem because it's occupied land as part of Palestine. It's going to be a very, very dangerous uh, step that they're taking. Uh, they're going to take it. They're going to probably succeed at it. Uh, and I think... Uh, it's something that's going to change their whole behavior from then on. Negotiations will be, they won't be negotiating anymore. They'll say, we don't have to negotiate because everything's been solved already. Wow. Wow. Well, what an interesting development as it relates to the Palestinian bid to the United Nations. One of the reasons that I am convinced it's important for you to do the work you're doing, Itamar, with all of your team in addition to what you're doing in the translation of both the print media and the electronic media, you travel around the world and you visit some of the legislative bodies of other countries, like you have spoken often uh, to the Congress, of members of Congress, both the Senate and the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. But I understand just recently you were in the United Kingdom, in Great Britain, and you addressed some of the parliamentarians there. What was your message to these parliamentarians? Yes, correct. I mean, there were about, though, uh, in three different lectures, I think, altogether, probably spoke to more than 50 uh, members of Parliament. Um, and we spoke about many, many things, especially the Western governments. Uh, this means Britain, it means the United States, but there, of course, the focus was on Britain. Their funding of the Palestinian Authority general budget, which then is responsible for producing an enormous amount of hate material on Palestinian television. Uh, it's responsible for glorifying terrorists, suicide bombers, turning them into heroes. Uh, it's responsible for paying salaries to Palestinian terrorists uh, who are in Israeli prisons. In fact, even people who are sitting dozens and dozens of life sentences. You've got people like Abdallah Balguti who's sitting 67 life sentences for killing 67 people uh, in suicide bombings that he planned and orchestrated. Um, he is getting a monthly salary, uh, which is higher than the average Palestinian Authority salary, um, because he's a terrorist in prison, and it is being paid for by Western governments. It's being paid for by the U.K., by Britain. And that's what was so significant there is that there was horror. I would say that the members of Parliament were quite horrified that this is what their well-intended money is going for, because it's going to the general budget, which is funding this. And we now have a core of members of Parliament there, who will be fighting to have a change in British law uh, so that Britain will no longer fund the Palestinian general budget. If we succeed there, we're hoping 
that that will impact on all the European Union countries. Uh, and we're hoping for similar success in the United States after the election as well. Oh, that is great. What a very, very important activity in your operation of palwatch.org, Palestinian Media Watch. One final question for you, Itamar. We're focusing today on this special edition of Prophecy Today on the presidential election. And I just want to see if uh, you can give us the heartbeat of the Palestinian people as it relates to who they would like to see elected. Do they have a choice? Uh, Will it affect whoever is elected? Will it affect the Palestinians and possibly uh, the peace process? The the Palestinian Authority would very much prefer um, Barack Obama. Uh, They were very, very optimistic because when he got elected, because of his very strong statements of support for for them, um, they were a little disappointed toward the disappointed toward the end of the four years, but they certainly uh, expect him to come through with all those promises about a Palestinian state, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, so they're very much hoping that uh, Barack Obama is going to win this election. I, I think an interesting indicator also uh, there was a poll amongst Israelis just recently, I think it was 15% of Israelis felt Obama's better for Israel, and I think 75 to 80% felt uh, that uh, Romney is better. So uh, the Palestinians are, are aware of uh, the same way Israelis are aware of, of who would be better uh, and, and who has, uh, you know, where the sympathies lie between the two candidates. And uh, the Palestinians are, are, are certainly rooting for Obama. Itamar Marcus, he is the director of Palestinian Media Watch. Itamar, thank you so very much for our interaction today. Appreciate the work you're doing, not only for us here on the broadcast, but for the legislative bodies of the different nations around the world as well. We need to know exactly what the Palestinian media is saying. Your team does a terrific job. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk again real soon. Okay, thanks for talking to you, and uh, uh, success there in Italy. Uh, Thank you very much, Itamar. You know, it's always very interesting to talk to Itamar Marcus. His team monitors the Palestinian media, both the electronic and the printed page for the Palestinians, and Itamar brings to these microphones the real truth behind what's being said or reported there in the Palestinian media. Well, Dr. Rob Congdon, last time I think I talked with him, he was in Europe. Now he's back in the United States. I'm in Europe, here in Rome, Italy. And so we've changed places, but we're still going to have a conversation that will be very informative to you. And Rob, let me get right to the story that I think is so interesting. I uh, hope you have some insight on this. It's very, very important, I believe, as we see the European Union coming together. The military chief in one of the European Union states gave a report there in Brussels when they gathered together at the European Union headquarters. He said the European Union is becoming marginal in Asia as it relates to their centric part of the world. Now, I I want you to refer and talk about that, but is this not a stepping stone for the establishment of a European Union military force, a standalone force, not being involved with NATO or any other military operation? Uh, absolutely. What What's happening in Europe is that they're reassessing where they're spending their money, and they are recognizing that, like uh, Europe, 
So, too, the U.S. is talking about military pullbacks in terms of its overall military strength. And uh, so they're starting to lose, if you will, that security umbrella that the United States, through NATO, has provided to Europe. They're recognizing the growing issues over in Asia. And as a result, uh, this fellow, I think, is speaking. He's, he's a little more far-sighted than the others. Uh, he's recognizing the time has come to start creating a military force. But he also recognizes, and this is probably the key to the whole story, they can't do it individually as individual countries anymore. The day has come. They can't afford that. They must pool their monies, resources, and military. And if that continues, then we have an EU military force for real. How far do you think that is down the road, Rob? It's always hard to tell. I, I think Libya was an eye-opener to many in Europe. They recognized that without the United States to help them, they couldn't have dealt with that situation. And remember, the EU is very involved uh, with all of the countries around the Mediterranean. So I think uh, they're probably discussing it more and more. Again, the finances are the major issue today in Europe. And in dealing with that, though, they are starting to see other threats. So uh, as far as the timetable, it's probably impossible to say because any crisis, any situation could develop that would speed up the timing. The point that I see that's important is they are talking about it, and that's come quite a ways from maybe a couple of years ago when it was hardly even thought of. Rob, we are here in Rome for the purpose of doing a documentary on the revival of the Roman Empire also, Revelation chapter 17, the false church that will be headquartered here in this seven-hilled city of Rome. Uh, yesterday, day before, I guess it was, I was there on Capitoline Hill. Uh, that is the location where in March of 1957, March the 25th, they signed, those six European leaders signed the Treaty of Rome, which actually was somewhat of the beginnings of uh, the preparations for the European Union. It was the common market that was established, but today we know that is the European Union, correct? That's absolutely correct. Uh, while many of the true beginnings of the European Union stem from the League of Nations, the actual point that you can point to and say is the beginning would have been the Treaty of Rome right there as you've described it. I look forward to uh, putting some final touches on this documentary with Dr. Rob Congdon because we want to talk about the remnants of the original Roman Empire. Are they still alive? In fact, it seems logical to me that if we're going to revive the Roman Empire, there needs to be something still existing to be revived. We get back to the States. We'll work that out with you, Rob. But uh, along with that, you know, the European Union, I believe the infrastructure, I think you do as well, for this revived Roman Empire, and out of those ten horns of Daniel, chapter 7 and verse 7, comes uh, the little horn, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8, which is one of the 27 names for the Antichrist. He is going to be a super powerful political leader during the tribulation period. What blew me away is when I saw the report, Tony Blair in one of the British newspapers, saying that the European Union needs a president, a super president. Now, this has been going on, but Tony Blair to speak out on the issue is quite interesting, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. He uh, he is ever watchful of an opportunity to bring this point out. Obviously, as one uh, person, one reporter said, it's really like he's presenting his resume or a job application for the position. Uh, there's great tensions in the European Union today over Britain and whether Britain uh, will proceed in a position of strength in the EU, whether it will reduce its influence or whether it would maybe try to get out. Uh, Tony Blair decides here's an opportunity for him because if they should start talking about a president and they talk about Tony Blair, they, in his mind the Brits would say, oh, what wonderful things to have the president of the EU be British, and that might strengthen the position of Britain in the EU. So he's, he's picked the exact right political time to start bringing up this issue again and pressing for a directly elected president of the EU. Well, he sure has the qualifications. He has his uh, foundation of faith, which is endeavoring to try to bring resolution to world conflict through religion. Also, he is the peace envoy for the Quartet, United States, European Union, United Nations, and Russia. It positions him uh, very effectively in the area where he could become very powerful if he was indeed elected as president of the European Union. I want to ask you, this is a special edition of Prophecy Today. We're focusing on the presidential election and uh, what the end result might be when there is a man elected, whether it's the re-election of President Obama or the new election of Mitt Romney. Uh, as it relates to Europe, and we're getting from our broadcast partners reports from all sections of the world, but how will the presidential elections affect the European Union when these results are in? I think in the long run uh, it would help the European Union for a man such as uh, Mitt Romney because he is more business-oriented and he, he is certainly more European-oriented in many ways. And so the Europeans would see that good. However, there is this ongoing, lingering um, like of President Obama, and many Europeans, and certainly the people I have talked to, have thought, well, he's certainly to be president, and they would hope that in the future he would respond more toward the European Union. Uh, when I talk to Brits, however, they recognize there's a clear dislike of Britain seen in the President of the United States, and so in many ways they would like to see a change there. So I think Europe is sitting back watching it. Uh, always remember their focus is on their own problems, so common with so many people too, but uh, they are watching it, and, uh, you know, perhaps the European Union's view is they would be a little better in one, with one candidate than the other, but I, I think it's a real mixed bag right now. I'm sure it is, and we're going to be watching it worldwide. Not only how it affects uh, the uh, politics in the United States, the domestic politics, but how it has an impact on the world as well. That upcoming, of course, and next week uh, when we get together for a prophecy today, we'll talk about it with our broadcast partners. Earlier this week, Rob, I was in Athens, Greece. We've focused often on Athens and what's happening in Greece. We were there. We took our tour group on to the Parthenon, and I stood up, up, upon Mars Hill where Paul the Apostle once stood and preached a great message there. Uh, I didn't preach a message. We just were talking about the historic significance of the place and how it does have a prophetic significance as well. Uh, but uh, as it relates to the crisis, the 
Eurozone crisis that's happening here in Europe. Any change in that? Is it getting better, getting worse? We did drive by the area where some of the demonstrators were there in front of the parliament in the president's location, but how is it going? Give us an update on that. Well, I think it's getting worse. Um, There's growing parties within uh, Greece that are starting to say, we don't want any help. We're going to, we want all these foreigners, so to speak, thrown out, and we want to solve our own problems. Uh, With a quarter of the people out of work, the tensions are rising, people are out of their homes. What I see is almost a, a, a picture of what eventually the earth could become like during the tribulation when there are great problems and they look for one man to solve their solutions. Uh, I think we're seeing this over and over when, when shortages occur, when the governments aren't reacting quick enough for people, they're ready to reach out to anybody regardless of their principles. So what I, I think we see Greece is kind of a, a little micro picture of what we could see that we who trust in Christ will be removed but of what it could be like on this earth uh, right after the rapture. So I I think we need to continue to watch Greece. Uh, The solutions aren't coming fast enough for Greece, and their disenchantment with the EU and others is is growing. So I think we're going to see an increasingly severe problem there. You know, it's been so interesting. We've been on this cruise with a number of friends from the United States, uh, traveling the journeys of Paul and his missionary activities. We were in Ephesus there in Turkey. We were in Athens, Greece, as I just said. We're now here in Rome, Italy. And I kind of resisted doing this type of a a tour with a group of people. I just wanted to focus on Bible prophecy. But I've got to tell you the truth, Rob, as I've been here, especially in Rome, what's going to happen with the a false church of Revelation chapter 17 in this particular location, and with what's going on in Greece and in Italy and in other countries as well with them about to default. The stage is being set, and you just brought that to our attention for Bible prophecy. That scenario found in God's Word for the end times to be fulfilled, is it not? Oh, absolutely, and the Scriptures constantly reassure us as Christians that not only has God given this to comfort us to know what's going to happen, but that we are to be alert to what's going on. And I never can stress enough that Christians need to be aware of what's happening, not only in the United States, but throughout the world, with one eye always focused on their scriptures. When I focused on the scriptures, I like that phrase. Dr. Rob Congdon, he's the man updating us on what's happening in the European Union. Just happens to be I'm in Europe here in Rome, Italy, Rob in the United States, but he still keeps his eye focused on what's happening. And a very good point you brought out there, Rob. We not only need to look at domestic situations in the United States, but we need to realize what's happening in our world, and in particular here in Europe. And that's why we have Dr. Rob Condon as one of our outstanding broadcast partners. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. It's always great to be with you. Have a good time there, Rome. Lord bless. Thank you very much, Rob. It's always a very important report when Dr. Rob Congdon gives us an overview of what's happening in the European Union. And with us being here in Rome, 
greater significance as I'm able to witness actually what is happening. We were there in Athens just temporarily, but we saw the demonstrations going on as well. Well, right now, Jim Jr. joins us. He flew out of Israel. He came here to Rome. We're doing a documentary. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But Jim, last time we were together, we were talking about you getting ready to drive to the Red Sea, and then the next day, you were going to take our tour group over to Petra. Petra, one of the seven wonders of the world. But the Red Sea is pretty significant itself, is it not? Oh, it sure is, Dad. We, You know, we went to the underwater observatory down there, and the fish are just unbelievable. In fact, as a matter of fact, you know, sometimes people wonder, why do you go to the underwater observatory? What spiritual significance is there? Well, you get to see the handiwork of God as he created the coral reefs, the fish, and everything that's there. And those fish are unbelievable. They are amazing, all the different colors, the different shapes, the different designs on them. It is evidence of the hand of God in creation, and I always enjoy going there. And what's so unique about it, Jim, you walk out to the end of that pier, and then you go down into the Red Sea, and you're not the ones that are looking in the cages at the animals, but instead you're the ones in the cages, or should I say the uh, the uh, aquarium bowls, and the fish are actually looking at us. It's one of the only places in the world, Dad, that you can do that. That is an exciting time. I have always enjoyed that. You went over to Petra. That's one of the seven wonders of the world. Did the people enjoy that? Oh, we walked around Petra. You know, the the fantastic part about it is you walk through that seek. It's about a mile and a half way into the entrance to we get to the Treasury Building. When you get to the Treasury Building, we go down to the the theater. And I I got to be careful, not say amphitheater. It's a theater. We go down there. We see all the tombs of the kings. It's just fantastic. All that you can explore there in the city of Petra. Well, what's also prophetically significant is that in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 6, the Lord said, I have prepared a place to protect my people, the Jewish people, at the time of the end. Well, Jim had a great time. We were there, Judy and I, just for a couple of days to interact with the people on our Israel tour. Then we flew out of Israel into Rome. We joined another group, and we went on a cruise And I've got to take a few moments to talk to you about this cruise. We had a wonderful time. We're going to talk about that. Jim Jr. will be interviewing me. You keep the dial set right where it is. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This has been a special edition of Prophecy Today, looking at the results of the presidential election and how that will affect not only the United States, but the rest of the world, and in particular, the Middle East and what's happening there. But let me remind you that we have a poll question. It's located on our website, prophecytoday.com. When you go to the home page on the left-hand column, to scroll down a bit, you'll see the poll question. Here's the question for this week. According to Romans chapter 13, those in political leadership are in that position because God placed them there. At the same time, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17 says that the Lord would use human government to accomplish his will. Therefore, will God also use the winner of the presidential election, to accomplish his will in the future. 
That's our poll question. We'd love to have your response. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and there you can get the poll question, respond to it, and we'll be able to get your answer sometime in the future when our staff looks all of that up. By the way, we've had some outstanding interviews, and the men who came to these microphones, Rob Congdon, Itamar Marcus, David Dolan, and Ken Timmerman, brought information to our understanding of how the presidential elections indeed are going to affect not only America, the European Union, the Middle East, and in fact, the entire world. Now, I would say it would be worth your while to go back and listen to some of these interviews that I had with our broadcast partners. You can do that by going to prophecytoday.com. There you'll have all of the questions that I ask in the interviews with our broadcast partners available for you to listen to. Well, just a moment ago, I was talking about the cruise that Judy and I had with a number of friends from all across America. They met with us when we arrived in Rome, Italy, about a week and a half ago. At that point in time, we boarded a ship We then took off for the next three ports that we were going to have. First, we went to Athens, Greece. We went to the Parthenon on top of the hill there in Athens, just below where Mars Hill was. I stood and talked with our people, did an interview. You heard that last week on our broadcast when our studio was in the ship we were cruising with, the Navigator of the Sea. We had a great time on that ship. And if you've never been on a cruise, all it is is eating and eating and eating. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven almost, but it was a great time. But in Athens, it became very, very very important for us to understand the historic significance about where we were and the site that we were visiting. We also went through modern-day Athens. We were able to see some of the activities going on there. Went from there, then we set sail again, went into Kusidasi, which is in southern Turkey, southwestern corner right there on the Aegean Sea Coast. And that's the biblical site of Ephesus. After visiting there, we got back aboard the ship, and we sailed for about a day and a half and finally arrived back here in Rome. An interesting, interesting time with all of our friends on the cruise. First time I've ever done this type of thing. Hey, Dad, this was your first cruise, your first Journeys of Paul cruise. What was so significant about the Journeys of Paul cruise? Well, Jim, you know, I hesitated ever doing this type of a cruise or a tour because really, you know, I'm into prophecy. You and I specialize in Bible prophecy. We travel around the world uh, doing prophecy conferences, and uh, this is part of what we are made up of. Our ministry is focused on Bible prophecy. But as I started to prepare, as I started to study and understand what we were going to be doing, where we were going to be going, I became very aware of the fact of the prophetic significance that would come out of every visit of every single location. For example, we were in Ephesus. If you study the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, you see that the Apostle Paul went there. He actually started out in the synagogue, and there in the synagogue, reasoning with the Jewish people about the kingdom. And so all of a sudden, I saw that Paul was talking about the kingdom. And then I realized, before he started the church in Ephesus, the first church he started in Europe was the church in Thessaloniki. And by the way, that is how you pronounce Thessalonica. So many people say it. It's Thessaloniki, and that's what our Gemna, our uh, guide, told me for sure. But anyway, he started that uh, church there in Thessaloniki, 
And he wrote about three weeks later a letter to them in Thessaloniki. It was the book of First Thessalonians. Fourth chapter, verses 13 to 18, is talking about the rapture of the church. So the very first letter that Paul wrote had prophecy in it. It was a very prophetically significant book and message that he gave to the people there. When you finish up with the Apostle Paul, he's going to be in Rome, and we'll get to our sojourn in Rome in just a moment. But when you get to Rome, the Apostle Paul is writing his last letter, and that's Second Timothy chapter 4. Verse 7, he said, I ran the race, I fought the fight, kept the faith, and I have finished the course. And then verse 8, he says, and laid up for me is a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, for all who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the first book he wrote had a prophetic theme in it. The last chapter of the book he wrote at the end of his 30 years of ministry had a prophetic significance. When you look at chapter 28 of the book of Acts, you become very aware of the fact that when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he was teaching Bible prophecy, teaching about the kingdom to come. And in every single spot that he stopped to minister, we see that he was teaching about the kingdom. He was getting the attention of the Jewish people, talking about something that they were interested in. When is the Messiah coming? And what about this kingdom that he's promised to set up? But of course, when we're in Ephesus, and I chased a rabbit there for a moment, let me get back to Ephesus. Chapter 19 of the book of Acts says, when Paul was there, three months in the synagogue, then in the school of Tyrannius, anywhere from two to three years, and the text tells us that through that time of ministry, every single person in the province of Asia heard the gospel message and had an opportunity to get saved. Now, what's so significant about that, Jim, is that those seven churches in Asia Minor that we read about in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, those churches were started by the Apostle Paul. So there's a great prophetic significance in all of the visits that Paul made to these different locations and his ministry in that 30-year period of time, I believe was motivated by his understanding of the soon coming, the rapture of the church that would happen at any moment in his opinion. Remember in First Thessalonians chapter 4, he made the statement that we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He was including himself, and I believe he anticipated that that could happen at any moment. Dad, you and I have been in Rome now for about the last five days. What do you see for Rome in Bible prophecy in the future? You know, Jim, this is amazing to me. Uh, you've been doing the video production. You're producing this documentary as you have done the last four that we've done. And I so appreciate the team that we have, you and your brother Rick, working so hard to make me look good in front of the camera. Uh, but uh, it's amazing. As we were going through the Sistine Chapel and the opulence in that location, now that's where the cardinals get together to elect a pope. When there's a need for another pope, that's where they meet and make that vote. And they don't come out of the Sistine Chapel until they have made a decision and selected a new pope. But there we walked from that location into St. Peter's Basilica. And we go over to the, uh, the front of the church. This is the mother church for the Catholic religion in all of the world. 
they told us. The guide looked up and saw that canopy, that bronze canopy that was there over the altar uh, right at the front of the church. And they said that underneath that altar was buried St. Peter. And I looked at that, and I know what the Word of God has to say. The Word of God said Peter never came to Rome. He went instead the opposite direction. From Jerusalem, the Lord told him to go to Judea and Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. If you were to come to Rome, you would have been going to the west. Instead, Peter went to the east. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 16 that Peter went to Babylon, and there he established a church. Remember, at the time when Peter was involved in ministry, Babylon was the second most populated Jewish city in the world, second only to the city of Jerusalem. And what's unique about that, Babylon, that church was established there, is going to be a part of the end-time activities. Babylon is going to be rebuilt, refurbished, I guess we should say, because it's never been totally destroyed, and it is going to be the headquarters for the activities that will unfold in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And so as I was looking at the site where St. Peter was supposedly buried, I realized that, indeed, that was not true. And I started then thinking quickly about everything else is not true. Uh, for example, uh, this church is not a true church. It's talked about as the church of the world today. I'm talking about the Catholic Church, and I'm not attacking Catholics. I'm simply saying when you study the Word of God, the doctrine of the church and the Word of God do not come together and are not coordinated. They do not fit like hand in glove. Instead, there's contradictions. We stepped outside St. Peter's Basilica, and I realized that everything we'd just been walking through and looking at and uh, taking photographs of, I realized that one day that would be burned to the ground. The documentary that we're doing, Jim, as you well know, is about the revival of the Roman Empire and about the significance of religion as it relates to the revival of the Roman Empire. We're talking about a religion that will be a false religion. book of Revelation, chapter 17, talks about it, referred to there as a whore. Now, that's apocalyptic literature. A whore is a non-virgin, unvirtuous woman. Well, the opposite of that is a pure, virgin, virtuous woman who will be married to Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And so the opposite of the pure bride of Christ will be this false church, and it will be headquartered in a seven-hilled city. That's the city of Rome, Italy. And as we've been going from place to place doing the different stand-ups, now that's where I stand in front of the camera. Jimmy tries to make me look good. You know, you got a big old man, a big old fat man standing there in front of the camera. Uh, but he positions me. So I think the content that you're going to be able to view and listen to when we get this documentary completed will help you to realize that we, right here in Rome, we're standing in the locations and all that was happening here was actually setting the stage for what's going to happen in the end of times. Jim, what about you? Uh, you, behind the camera, you're thinking, you're, you're focused on getting me that image you want to have so that you can ultimately produce this documentary. Uh, but you've been in the same locations. What are your thoughts as you've been uh, here in the city of Rome? Dad, you know, I think what was so interesting to me, all along I've seen the importance of this video, and I, I want you to tell me why you think it's important. But as we uh, and as we have been traveling the city, um, 
standing there in St. Peter's Square, you taught the book of Revelation chapter 17. That was amazing. Seeing all of these things, understanding Bible prophecy, what's going to take place here in the future, the headquarters for not only the Antichrist, but the false church, everything that's going to take place. It's just amazing as we have been on different sites, different locations, and you're teaching the Word of God, and God has prepared the way at each one of these locations. I think it's so very important, this video that we're going to be doing. I will have to agree with you, Jimmy, and you ask me why I think it's so important. Well, uh, think about it. We did the book of Revelation. That's the first documentary that you produced. You allowed me to be the teacher. That was laying out the end-time scenario in the 22 chapters found in the book of Revelation. And then we also did one on Ready to Rebuild. You took my old, 20-year-old documentary on the building of the next temple. You revised it, and it's right up to date. You're working right now to finish up the one on the Garden of Eden. So we've been focusing on Israel, the Jewish people. We need to now focus on what's going to happen in the beginning of that seven-year tribulation period. The revived Roman Empire will come into place, and Antichrist will come out of that empire. He will establish a peace agreement between Israel and her neighbors. And then, at that time, The tribulation period will begin, a terrible time of judgment in the future. As it relates to the Jews, it's called the the time of Jacob's trouble. That's all ahead, and everything we've been seeing when on location, both in Israel and here in Rome, and what we're going to be presenting on this documentary will help you to understand that Bible prophecy is about to be fulfilled because the stage is set and all the actors are in place. We'll let you know when we get the documentary finished. You might want to pre-order your copy of this video. We'll tell you about it when it's time to come. Hey, the time's up for this segment. We're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand like Daniel where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298 or visit us at schoolofprophets.org The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. 
If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we spoke with our broadcast partners for their thoughts on the effects of the outcome of the presidential election coming up on Tuesday in America. I want to share with you in just a moment my thoughts on the elections and how government, how human government, does play a role in God's plan for the ages and in particular in the future. We'll get to that in just a moment. In addition to discussing the election effects on our world today, our broadcast partners also talked about other stories that are happening in this world that help us understand that the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. For example, we talked with Ken Timmerman, and he talked about the cover-up, the cover-up going on at the White House and with different cabinet members throughout the Obama administration as it relates to the Benghazi terrorist attack and the killing of our ambassador there in the consulate. We also talked about Islamic radicals visiting the White House a number of times and the United States Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Dempsey, in Israel trying to stop the Israelis from doing a preemptive strike on the Iranian nuclear weapons program, which is developing a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Dave Dolan gave us our Middle East news update. He talked about the Jerusalem mayor saying, Let my people pray. The secular Jerusalem mayor is calling for the governmental officials in Israel to open up the opportunity for Christians, Jews, and Muslims to pray on the Temple Mount. Very interesting story covered by David Dolan. And we also talked about the possibility that Jordan may form a federation with the Palestinians taking in the West Bank, or we term it the area of Judea and Samaria. Edomar Marcus talked about a mother who put a suicide belt on her child. And that's a part of the propaganda ploy that the Palestinian media is using in an effort to incite the Palestinians against the Jewish state of Israel as they try to take back all the land that belongs to the Israelis. Dr. Rob Congdon, he reported on the European Union. We talked about Tony Blair. He's the peace envoy for the Middle East as it relates to the quartet. He says that the European Union needs a super president. Boy, that plays into the end-time scenario that can be found in Bible prophecy. Our broadcast partners were very effective giving us insight into these current events that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You can re-listen to any of these conversations with our broadcast partners by going to prophecytoday.com and PTRN. 
Prophecy Today Radio Network. Prophecy Today Radio Network is radio when you want it, at your convenience, when it's good for you to be able to listen. You can listen to the entire program, or you can go back and listen to the individual conversations that are had with our broadcast partners. May I suggest you call a friend, tell them about this opportunity to hear some wonderful insights into current events that are happening in our world. You know, the current events, as I did say, that we discussed on Prophecy Today weekend with our broadcast partners are events today that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Politics does set the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. This has been the case down through the centuries from the time that God put in place the institution of human government. That was done in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. Right after the flood, God instituted human government when he gave Noah that institution. That's, again, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. God allowed Egypt, for example, to take the Jews into bondage, as foretold in the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 15. And God did follow through with that prophecy he gave Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish people. The Lord allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take the Jewish people into captivity uh, so that the land could receive its Sabbath, its Shabbat. God told the Jewish people in Leviticus chapter 25 to rest the land every seven years. Well, the Jewish people did not do that, so he took them out of the land for that 70-year sabbatical period of time so that the land would receive its rest as he had told the Jewish people to do. You notice in Second Chronicles chapter 36, the Lord tells us through that passage of Scripture that the prophecy of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25, 11, 29, 10, which said the Jewish people would be out of the land for a 70-year period of time, and that's why the Babylonian captivity was for that 70 years to allow the prophecies of Jeremiah to be fulfilled. The Lord then raised up King Cyrus to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. That's Ezra chapter 2. Back in the book of Isaiah chapter 44 and also chapter 45, the Lord said that in the time after the Babylonian captivity, he would raise up a world leader to allow the Jews to return. In fact, he even gave the name of that world leader. His name was Cyrus. When you look at Ezra chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see that Cyrus was raised up. He allowed about 50,000 Jews under the leadership of Zerubbabel to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. These are just a few examples of how the Lord has used human government down through the years. He will use human government in the future as well. With the revival of the Roman Empire, we will see Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7 be fulfilled. The ten horns will come about, and that will be the revived Roman Empire. And he will allow out of those ten horns the little horn, which is the Antichrist, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8. And in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, the church, the false church, will be headquartered in Rome, Italy, where I am today. Then human government destroys the church, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 16, because the Lord put into the hearts of political leaders to accomplish his will. That's Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. 
As we go to the polls to vote this week, we must exercise our franchise to vote because a political leader will come to power, a president will be elected, and he will indeed be used to fulfill Bible prophecy. God has a prophetic plan, and that plan will be fulfilled, and he will use human world leaders to accomplish his will. But remember, the next event to happen is the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trump of God sounds, and we're caught up to be with him in the air. And with everything we talked about on this broadcast today, the evidence is very strong that that rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 